Everything's working. Testing one, two, three. There we go. Make sure that all the all the gizmos are going. You know, I don't know. I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, we get to heaven if the rapture happens. You know, I have two titanium plastic polymer knees on the sideboard, and I don't I don't really care. I mean, you know, I might on the rapture if my legs fall off from the knees down. And I get to heaven, I'm only about, as, about, as, about the size of Andrew's oldest boy. That's okay, man. I'll be waiting to you. I, I, just look down. You'll see me go, hey, that's right. I'm here. I'm here. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Having a good time. And it feels good in here tonight. Amen. It feels good in here tonight because God's here tonight. Hallelujah. <clears throat> and so this morning I was uh, beginning to think about tonight's service. And I, begin, I did something prepared before I came here because this is the weekend of, uh, this is the week of uh, Valentine's Day. And so, you know, I'm usually traveling like I am this year. And so I'm not, I'm not home with my sweetheart. But uh, so I got to think, you know, this, I need to, you know, after you've been together with the same person for 50 years, you know, you got to think about, you got to work on this a little bit. You just can't come up with things on the top of your head. And so I was thinking about this uh, sometime. And so I want to give as we go into this tonight, I want to give some Valentine's Day wisdom <clears throat> for men. Now, I know your wives are here tonight, and so this is not going to work. This is not going to work. But something will work along these lines if you'll put, connect the dots, guys. Just connect the dots. I know you have trouble outside painting inside the lines, but just connect the dots. So husbands say things like this as we start. They say, I told her I loved her. What else can I say? Guys say that all the time, you know. And what else does she want? You know, I bought her an extra electric weed whacker for the backyard. <laughs> I got her a set, brand new set of stainless steel pots and pans. You know, she knows I love her. What is the problem here? And so, you know, how about how do you express that love in actions towards her in a non-physical way? You ever think about that, guys? How do you, how do you how do, you, how do you express your love to your wife non-physically? How do you do this? And so this example here that I'm going to give you that I began before I came for this week, this is happening right now. This is hot off the, off the oven. Amen. This is 50 years in the making. This has been worked on for quite a while. Amen. So I knew I was not going to be home on Valentine's Day. So I left a gift for my wife, but I hid it in the house before I left. It's hid in the house. And I didn't tell her about it. I hit it before, you know, before I even got ready to leave. I'd already taken care of it. And so today is Monday. My wife was at work when I was texting her. And so I told her this fact today. Two days before Valentine's Day, in a text this morning, I told her that I would give her one clue, which is it's hid in plain sight. Now my wife, now I, I, I just hooked her right there. She's like, oh, God. I got to get home and find out what he's talking about. <laughs> Tomorrow, the day before Valentine's Day, if she hasn't found it yet, which you got to understand, my wife is a go-getter when it comes to this guy. I'll give her another clue, which tomorrow will be she looks at it every day. And if you think I'm telling you, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you where it is or what it is tonight, so you can just all forget that. But this is what I'm, if she doesn't find it by tomorrow, I'll say, uh, you look at it every day. This will drive her nuts. I know it will. She'll be mad and glad at the same time. She'll be mad because she can't find it, glad because she knows that I think about her a lot. 
And just that expression of my love for her and action on my behalf, showing that I think about her, even, you know, you know, before, you know, before that moment, you know what I'm saying, guys, you know, guys get that smile on their face. <laughs> now, now, now. <laughs> yeah, but before, way before that, she knows I'm thinking about her. This will light her fire. Even after 50 years of being together, three weddings, three children, 11 grandchildren, this will torch her up. I know it will. It's just, she's torched up. You know, when she went home, I texted her, but she got off work, you know, and, you know, she didn't say anything in the text, but I can tell around the edges, you know, she's waiting to get home because she knows there's something in there somewhere. And she's, my God, she'll be up half the night looking for it probably. She'll, she'll incorporate the dogs. She'll get the sniffer dogs out. <laughs> she's talking about to sniff candy out. She'll, Go, find it. Why? Because everybody, especially girls, like gifts and Easter egg hunts. <laughs> they love it. They love it. So I want to preach on love is in the air tonight. If you miss this, then you miss it all. So a couple of scriptures I want to read. I'm going to read 1 Peter first, and then we're going to read 1 John. You can turn to 1 John chapter 4 if you want. But in 1 Peter 4, 8, this verse says, Above all... Have fervent, be fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And then in 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God, towards us, because God sent his Son, his only Son, into the world that we might be that we might live through him. So herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitution for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. And hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And so if you're like me, you know, you, you know especially the guys, you know, married couples here tonight, you think you know about love, but the reality is you, you have to learn about love. You don't know about love. And so I want, let's talk about the priority of love here because here's a critical ingredient in the church and in your marriage and in the world that we live in. 1 Peter 4 eight says, above all things, have fervent love among yourself. So this above all things literally means before all things, or in order of importance, first comes love. That's what the Bible says. First comes, this is, this is the, the, the priority and this is the order. First comes love. And this is something that you have to learn. You got ideas. I had ideas. I met my wife when I was 14. She was 16. And so you've heard the story. And so we've been together for 50 years. But, you know, I had ideas of what I thought love was. And, you know, but they're, they're not real. Because, you know, it, think, just think with me for a second here tonight. So here's this woman. See, this is not a, I don't care what's going on today. This is not, 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 not a, a, a man in a woman's body over here. This is a woman. This is a different creature than you. But here's how it goes down. She says something. Her words are invisible. They come through the air as sounds, and they come into your brain as a man. And you think about what she said, as a man would think about it. And you go, oh, I know what she means. And you tell her what you think she just told you. 
But then you realize she looks at you and goes, that's not at all what I'm thinking about. <laughs> and then, of course, you're a man, you're an ego. That's all you are, you're a big ego. Men are just, men are just big egos. And now you think that, you know, your ego's been tweaked, and so you, know, you get a little voice infraction. Oh, sweet, you call me stupid? Is that what it is? Am I a dummy? <laughs> and she's going, no, you're just ignorant <laughs> about women. You know, and then the fight begins, you know. I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> and so you got to learn. I've counseled people. I've pastored churches. You know, I got them sitting there, you know, and, and you know, the, the guys got ideas. They think that that's not it at all. You know, no, you have to learn. No, I know. No, you don't, Pastor. You don't, you don't know. You need to learn, man. That's a, that's a woman. You don't think like a woman. That's a different creature. You got to learn about her. That's, that's probably the biggest lesson I had to learn was that that's not a man's mind I'm communicating with. She thinks different. And so you've got to learn. If you don't, then you're going to be, you're going to have problems. You're going to struggle. You're going to have fights. You're going to have all kinds. You're going to, you know, it, it, it could be a lot of things that you think it is, but it's not none of them because you just don't know what she's thinking because you don't know how she thinks. First Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, dwell with him according to knowledge, not strength, knowledge. You've got to learn. And so the church is built like, it's built on relationships. It's not a program. It's not a building. It's not an activity. It's not attending a meeting. This is not Christianity. It's not attending a meeting. It's not a babysitter for your, your children so you can sit with your wife and sit in, your, you know, in a building. It's a shared life, a Christ-like life. And so here in First Peter, we see Peter point out the importance of loving one another. And that's something we have to learn. We have to learn how to do this. And so next to your relationship with God is your relationship to one another. In the kingdom of God, next to your relationship to God is your, your relationship with your brothers and sisters. And so think about what John writes in John 4.20, just a little farther down our text. If a man says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's what the Bible says. For he that loves not his brother whom he's seen, how can he love the God whom he's not seen? And so here is the difference between reality and fantasy. Pay close attention. Here's, here's the difference. See, see, the Bible says that, you know, you, you, can't, say you, lo- you can't say you love God and hate your brother. You can't, you can't, you can't, oh, me and God are like that. We are tight, you know. But that person over there, I can't stand. See, that's, that, that, that's, you're living in a fantasy world. The Bible says you're, in fact, the Bible's much stronger. It says you're lying. It's a, it's a lie. You're living a lie. Because you see, what the Bible says here is it, listen to me, the reality of your love for God is seen in how you treat your brothers and sisters. See, that's the revelation of 1 John 4. You can't say you love God and hate your brother because you see the reality, the reality of your love for God. It's not something that's just in your mind that just you and God got. People can see it. They see it in how you treat other people. And so if you're always upset with other people, always, uh, you know, mad at somebody, and yet you come in, oh, and you cry alligator tears, oh, I love God, you're just living in delusion. Hello. You're not living in the real world. And so the wisdom the Bible teaches a vital indicator of your relationship with God. You can tell how strong a relationship is with God by just checking how strong your relationship is to one another in the body. 
that'll tell you exactly how strong your relationship is to God. Because if you got all kinds of feuds and problems and fights and, and this and tick and tat, and, but yet you, you, know, you have this, this, this affinity, just me, you know, God understands me. It's just all the other people that are stupid. <clears throat> You're living in another planet. John writes on the evidence. See, the evidence is something supernatural has happened in your life is your love for the brethren. 1 John 3.14, we know. See, this is the evidence. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. So we're talking about love. We're talking about love. This is, this is a week that we have Valentine's, amen, and uh, this, is, this is the love, love week, and so we're talking about love tonight. So what we're looking at is the priority that love has given Christianity, a clear call to love one another. That's, this could be any clearer. God says, I want you to learn to love one another, and we have to learn. This is not something you know. You, you, listen, I come from a broken family. Like I've said, I got at least 12, maybe 13 marriages between my mother and my father, Eight different sisters from, you know, seven different sisters from eight different relations. You know, I got this hodgepodge. And, you know, and in that, what that computed in my life, even after I was saved, was, was problems because I had no idea. You know, I was a mess. And so, you know, it showed up in my relationships. Me and my wife blew up a couple times. And, and so, you know, we, you know, so I'm talking to you tonight not about something out of a book, but something except the Bible. I'm talking to you about life. You've got to learn to love. First thing, best thing you can do tonight, men, is just make a note. You know what? I need to learn. You look at that pretty little thing you married. Man, I need to learn. I don't know what I think I know. Because, you know, I, I, you know, I thought, man, I'm, you know, I married Jana. You know, she's an 18-year-old teenage girl. You know, I'm gonna, this, I'm gonna, when I get done, man, she's going to be the woman of my dreams. Well, you're not going to change nobody. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Take him, old guy, 50 years down the road, man, with many battle scars. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> God doesn't change your heart. It ain't going to happen. The Last Supper is a picture of the church in the embryonic state before it's birthed. You can see the church in the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples, as they're eating that meal. That is a picture of the church that's going to be birthed out of Jesus' going to the cross and dying. As it ends, Jesus begins to wash their feet, sets an example of service, and he makes this statement, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. Now, this, is, this commandment's not new. They know about this already. So what is he saying? He's saying in terms of priority, this is first. We got to learn to love. You don't know. You have to learn to love. So now that we've established that, let's talk about the discipline of love because we all, we all like discipline. Don't we? just, we're just a bunch of disciplined people. <laughs> I, I know. You know, love is probably the most misunderstood, abused word in the language. The complaint of every backslider, years I pastored, complain, every backslider is there's no love in that church. What do they mean by that? You know, you know, what are they looking for? What do they think love is? You know, what, what, what is it that they're looking for? Because, you see, people have ideas of what love is. And usually they fluctuate between two extremes. One is that love is this ooey, gooey, slimy, uh, pathetic feeling that never confronts sin, has no standards. You know, God is like a Santa Claus. It just says, ah, ah, come on, it's okay. Or the other side, 
is that love is this warm emotional feeling that they, they're, they're waiting for. That it's like, you know, they walk into the room, you know, in and, and the club, this dim lit, smoke filled room, and your eyes meet across the, and your heart goes, Pff, you know, that I'm in love. No. More than likely, you've just been bound by a demon of lust, is what that is. <laughs> that has nothing to do with love, man. You're just horny and you're just going nuts now. <laughs> You're like a, you're like a, like a, like a, 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 a bull led to the slaughter. You know, you got one thing on your mind. <laughs> so somewhere between those two, people usually have. That's what they think love is. But Peter, and see, I so thank the Word of God because without the Word of God, you know, we're a mess. We have no hope. We have no hope. And so First Peter one twenty two says, "Seeing you've purified your souls in obeying the truth." through the Spirit unto unfettered love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so God's love goes way beyond anything you felt before you got saved about what you thought love might be. Fretted love, fretted, the word fretted means hyper, hypercritical, two-faced, phony. It's the kind of love you thought was love before you got saved. It's always got one thing in mind, the conquest in the back of your mind if you're a man, and you'll say anything to get her where you want to get her to and to do what you want to do. And it doesn't matter what it is. You'll promise the moon. You'll, you'll, you'll sacrifice everything because it's the only thing that's on your mind. And that's, really, and that's fretted love. That's, that's, that's this two-faced, phony type of love. Unfretted love, what the Bible talks about here, unfretted love is sincere and honest and genuine. It's truthful. It's beyond anything you ever felt before you got saved. And so, with that understanding, think about two men talking about Noah's Ark. You know, that's where everybody, all the animals went, you know. You know, I was in preaching in Clovis, New Mexico just a week or so ago, and a guy came up and told me a Noah's Ark joke. Uh, uh, he said, you know, you know, he said, you know, they, you know why they couldn't fish on Noah's Ark? I go, no, why? He goes, it's only had two worms. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> These are the kinds of things I, I just pick up where I'm at, you know. So. <laughs> and so here's these guys that are talking about this ark. And you got all these animals on a three-story boat with just a little bitty window with enough food to eat for six months or however long. And every day these animals are eating and going to the bathroom. And there's no place to put where they go to the bathroom. And so just think. They're thinking about this is a mess. You know, I mean, after just a couple of days, it would be a mess. Especially if, you're, if you lived on the floor the elephants were on. <laughs> but it doesn't matter where you're at. It's just not going to be a good scene. After a while, you know, floating in the water up and down for months on end with all these animals just doing nothing but eating hay and going to the bathroom. That's like, you know, come on, give me a break. And the guy said, yeah, it must have been a smelly, horrible place. And then the other man piped up and said, yeah, but it was the best thing floating. <laughs> Got a point there. And so you see the church sometimes stinks up a little bit. You get people that stink it up a little bit. Things happen, you know. But you know what? Look outside. This is the best thing going. I know sometimes it gets a little, little nasty, a little, little, but you know what? There ain't nothing else out there. Ain't nothing out there. Church has problems, but it's still the best thing going. So Christian love tonight needs to be viewed 
as a goal that you can achieve, not, you know, not just something that you mentally assess, assess to. It's not a feeling. It's not a mystical fog that rolls in like a fog machine and somehow it touches you and engulfs you in this passion that you just live in forever. That's not the, there's, Christian love is a goal, and so it's a goal that you set before you. 1 Peter 1.22, see you love one another with a pure heart. See that you do that. Beloved, let us love one another. 1 John 4.7, 1 Peter 4.8, above all things, have love among yourselves. So this Christian love, that God's, this God kind of love, is going to require something of you. It's going to require effort. It's going to require a decision of your will. You're not going to be able to just, it's not just going to happen. You, you know, you can sit in a church forever and never, get, never grow at all unless you realize that this kind of love that God is talking about here is not something that we inherently have possession of, but it's, we have opportunity to become a person that can love if we'll just realize how much we need this and how much God's willing to give us this understanding, but we're going to require effort. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have to concentrate. It's something you've got to work at. It's a learned accomplishment. Love is a learned accomplishment. It took me a while to kind of get this through my head tonight, but I, we got it now. Me and my wife, we're, we're on the men's. We're okay. You know, I think we're going to make it. You know, it's three marriages and a lot of heartache, but we've we've done it. We're, we've 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 you know basically because I have come to understanding that I didn't know what I was doing, and now without God's help, I still don't know what I'm doing. But I have God now. Amen. First Peter four eight have fervent love. So here's a word picture. This is a word picture. This is the Bible. This is a word picture. This word fervent denotes something strained or stretched. It's kind of, it's kind of like you can probably the picture we had the other day at the, the dinner in the, in the workout place, the Q90 or PC90 or whatever it's called. What's CrossFit. it? CrossFit. 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 Come on. <laughs> CrossFit. Get the picture of an athlete who's straining for the finish line. This word fervent carries the idea of intensity, of strenuous effort, exertion, literally means have outstretched love among yourselves. This is the word. And so this gives us an incredible picture. Listen, Christian love, real Christian love tonight is the only energy on the planet that will move you beyond self-centered living. This kind of love I'm talking about tonight is the only power on earth that will move you off of self-centered you, if you don't learn how to love like God says to love and begin to discipline yourself in that and begin to do that, then you will just, uh, you will just put a lot of religious words on your life. But in the end, what it is is you're just serving yourself. Self's on the throne. Yourself, yourself, self-love, selfish, self-centered. Self, it's, it's all going to be that. It's just going to have this amen, brother, and religious hallelujahs in the middle there. If you don't learn to love, God says you have to learn to love. It's the only force. It's because it put Jesus on the cross. I'm telling you, it's the only force that will break the self-love of this generation, especially this self-centered, self-loving generation. <laughs> the Bible is trying to teach us something very important here. Christian love is something you have to work at. Just like an athlete works out for his sport because they want to be the very best. Uh, it doesn't come easy. You've got to apply yourself. You have to discipline yourself. You're going, it's not just going to, you're just not going to somehow mind melt. You're, you're going to have to work at it. 
You know, we sing that song, I lift my cup up, Lord. You know, here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and fill this longing of my soul. Bread of heaven, fill me till I want no more. Here's my cup, lift it up until I'm whole. The cup is the picture of your life. But this generation doesn't empty themselves out. What they lift to God is a cup that's already three-quarters full of, guess what, self. And what they want is they just want God, the God uh, 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 waitress, just to top their cup off a little bit. Just warm it. Just give me a warm-up. I just want to go to church and get a little warm-up, and, and then I feel better now, and then go live my life. That's what we do because we don't realize that nobody's got the guts to dump their life out and then lift an empty cup to God because we're just scared that if we dumped ourselves out, what would we be? We'd be empty. And we'd have need of God to fill us. But no, we just, we'd rather just, just top us off a little. Just warm, the, just warm it up, just, just to top off. Just, yeah, that's good. That, that's, that's great. That's, that's all I just need. Just a little 30-minute top off, Pastor, and then I'll go on down my road and, and, and do myself things. Come on. I was a sinner. I used to go to the dog track a lot. I like to watch the greyhounds run. They're magnificent animals. And down in Phoenix, you know, it's, it was also an air-conditioned building. <laughs> so I like being air-conditioned building. <laughs> Stinking off. And so, you know, and so you go in there, you know, and, and they, they parade all the dogs down in front, you know, and they, they're, they're, you know, they've got their little numbers on them so you can pick out which ones you want to, you want to uh, bet on, you know. You usually get, you need to bet on the one that went to the bathroom last because he's the one that's the most lively. Man. But you see, you see him down, and then they go put him in these gates, and you make your bets. And then they got this, this got this metal, they got this metal rabbit, this mechanical rabbit that runs on a rail. They've all been trained to chase the rabbit. And so, and so then you, you see the rabbit going around, and their dogs are down here, and you're, you're up, and they come, as he comes around, and as the rabbit goes by, you hear the guy say, here comes the rabbit. And as soon as he turns the corner, they open the gates, and these dogs come flying out of these gates. And I mean, these dogs are in mint condition. I mean, I mean, they are nothing but muscle, man. I mean, you just see every muscle in their body. I mean, they are picking them up and putting, their eyes are focused on that. I mean, they want to, get, see, they got the rabbits going just a little faster than they can run. So they're never going to catch it because they're kind of stupid dogs. But, but, <laughs> but it's not because of lack of effort. They are trying to get that rabbit. I mean, all of, I mean, all of, I mean, their tails are straight out. I mean, they're, I mean, they're just laying, you know, and you're just watching this straight, man, everything in them, not get that rabbit. Yeah, but every once in a while, what will happen in a race is the dog will get his eyes off the rabbit. And if you've ever seen it happen, it's, it's hilarious. Because what, happen, what happens is the dog who loses sight of the rabbit, he'll slow down immediately. And all the other dogs lead him, and half the people are like, I just did I got a thinking idea. But the dog, he just, instead of this highly trained uh, animal that's that running, you know, he just turns into a dog. Usually jumps the fence. He's out in the middle running around now. All the other dogs are way over there. They're coming. And this other mutt, he's out in the middle running around, you know, peeing on bushes. And he's out there. He's out there. And then they send the guards out. Of course, when the guards get out, when they get close, <laughs> they've lost it. And that is such 
a picture of Christians when they get their eye off of Jesus. I mean, they are locked in in the race. You know, but something distracts them. And they immediately slow down. Pastor sees them. The church begins to leave them behind. And then they get off into the bushes somewhere doing stupid things, you know, with stupid people. And the pastor goes out there to try to get him. <laughs> you lost it. You know, you lost it. So here's the Bible's answer. See, love is a goal you work towards, a finish line that you try to cross first. So here's the Bible's answer to those folks who when you challenge them, their answer is, when you challenge them about this kind of love I'm talking about, they say, well, that's just not my nature, Pastor. I'm just not that kind of person. And you know, when we answer them back, well, none of us are that kind of person. Amen. None of us are that kind. So that's not an excuse. It's just a cop-out. We all need to learn. It's not in any of our personalities to love the way God would have us love. And so you see, the root of not loving tonight, since I'm on a roll, is not hate. The root of not loving is not hate. It's really laziness. We're lazy people. Because love requires work. Lazy people don't want to expend the kind of energy it takes to love the way God says we should love. The spirit of sloth says it's just not worth the effort. That's why some people come to church and they hear some, they hear some good gospel preaching and they go, you know, I just don't want to go to a church like that because that just, they're just demanding too much. No, they're just preaching the Bible. But because we're lazy, we don't want to put forth the effort. We don't want to try to, to learn to love. So laziness is a true enemy of love, not hate. And this is why marriages and friendships and relationships crumble because people know what to do. They just don't want to do it because they're self-centered and, and it, it costs, it's, just too much, it's just too much work to work at that. It's a lot easier just to say there's no love in that church than to be a person who becomes a person who loves. It's just much easier to say, oh, there's no love in that church. Those people don't love. Hallelujah. Since love is a discipline, something that we achieve, let's get a look at a number of characteristics here. Help us. Love is, the Bible says that love is defined by what it does. It's not a feeling, it's an action. 1 Corinthians 13, you can say that on your own. But one of the characteristics of love is love accepts. See, we all want to be loved. Everybody in the world wants to be loved. They want to be accepted. Ephesians 4, 2, Living Bible says, Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So love makes an allowance for each other's faults. Now, many times the reason we don't love is because we think our calling in life is to straighten everybody out. Hello. Our job is to make allowances for people. God's job is to straighten people out. Our job, love them. God's job, straighten them out. But the problem is we want to switch jobs with God. We say, God, you love them and I'll straighten them out. <laughs> That's right. In our heart of hearts, that's what we want to do. Another characteristic of love is love works through difficulties. See, real love works through problems. Listen to the, listen to the Bible. 
Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that you, brother, you have ought against your brother, leave there your, leave there your gift before the altar and go your way and be first reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gifts. The Bible says you come to church to worship God, and you remember you got a problem with so-and-so in the nursery that day. The Bible doesn't say leave church. The Bible says leave your gift at the altar, go make, your, go make it right with your brother or sister, and then come and worship God. But you see, most of the time we don't want to do that. I've had people leave church because their child got bit. It's not like the pastor went in there and bit him. You know? <laughs> it's not like their kid never bit nobody. You know, it's... listen, I I know. I, you know, difficulties. You know, we just don't. What it is, we don't know how to handle difficulties. So when we're faced with them in a corporate setting, if we're not God's grace is not helping us, we usually get overwhelmed and we just leave. We just we just bail because you know we just we just we can't. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to face that. I pastored a church uh, and uh, some pastor. I had a my first church, I pastored a church had 1,100 square foot, so the, building, the whole building was about from here to that wall, about that wide, with the nursery and the bathroom. And we ran 100 people, 110 people. They just jammed in there. And it was faced, the end of it faced a road. And so we did a movie one night, and it was, it was packed with people. And we had a girl doing nursery, and what she did is she opened the back door because it was so stinking hot. Well, a toddler got out. And the toddler got out the back of the church without the, the lady knowing it, walked all the way down the street, probably about a block away, and was in the middle of a four-lane highway. And a couple from Illinois going to Disneyland stopped, picked the baby up, came to the Denny's on the corner and said, you know, where's this child? This child's out in the middle of the road. And they said, well, there's a church up there. And so they brought the baby up to the church. You know? I'm the pastor's like... <laughs> you know, just the grace of God that this baby, you know, didn't get hit or, you know, just, just a miracle, just an incredible miracle, God. I had a 12 passenger van going to outreach to your pastor, John Zazueta, when he pastored in, in Barstow. Uh, and the guy who's pastoring now in Desert Hot Spring, he was driving the van that day, took 12 people to the you know, and I told them, to say, you can all put your seatbelts on. Yeah, Pastor, we're going to put our seatbelts on. You know, so they're going out across Old Woman's Road to Barstow in this van. And as they're driving along, going to outreach, uh, a steering arm breaks on the steering. And at 60 miles an hour, the, tire, the tires just go, <laughs> and the van just goes, <laughs> off through the desert. And nobody's got a seatbelt on. <laughs> And it flips three times in for in. Just bodies. <laughs> comes to a crash and nobody's hurt. They're skinned up and bruised a little bit, but nobody's hurt. Nobody's got a broken bone or nothing. Just the grace of God upon my life and my ministry. <laughs> Could have killed more people than I pastored, probably. Oh, God, help us. Love is courteous. Now, this, I have to admit, this one bothers me still. <laughs> because, you know, I grew up, I grew up wild, un, un, untamed, demon-possessed from a very early age. <laughs> and so, 
Courtesy wasn't my, you know, I, my, I, my stepmother from when I was five years old until I was 14, she just beat the tar out of me. Before, this is before child abuse. <laughs> she was just a wicked witch from the East. I mean, I forgive her before she died, but she was wicked. <laughs> and so I just grew up twisted. And, and I was just kind of that guy, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bother, I didn't care about people. I could have been a, probably a serial killer real easy, but it, people didn't bother me. I didn't, you know, just, just leave me alone. I just tell people, leave me alone. You know, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. You be, I'll be fine. You'll be fine. You mess with me, I'm going to hurt you. mess with me, I'm going to hurt you. You know, and so that's how I grew up. And so love is courteous. This, I was never courteous. And so, you know, I, I was the guy, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, 5 says, love does not behave itself unseemly, inappropriate, improper, tasteless. So, you know, driving down the road. Moffat says love is never rude. So, you know, I've driven down the road, you know, listening to Jesus music, singing, you know, and just having to go to, and then somebody cut me off in the freeway, you know, and immediately I just revert, you know. Wait, you know, oh, cut me up, you know, run, jam on the gas, run, hey, you want some of this? That was it. Cut me up, pull that thing over, pull it over. Forget Jesus, forget the Jesus loves me thing. I'm ready to kill him. And I, you know, and I, I'm just telling you, this is just who I am. And so, you know, I, I, I before I had my knees replaced, because I, I had them tore up in football in high school, and then I, Poured concrete for 35 years, just destroyed them. So I had to get new ones put in. God didn't heal the old ones, so I just put new ones in. These are metal. They're all metal. It's all metal. I'm just walking around. But so before that, it just hurt. It hurt to walk. I mean, just every time I took a step, it was painful. And so, of course, you know, they put the milk in the back of the store. So Jen would send me to the store to get milk, and I walk all the way to the back to the milk cart get a gallon of milk, and then walk all the way back up to the front. And then invariably, I would get in the line that says, you know, like five items or less. You know, I got one gallon of milk. There'd always be some lady in front of me with like 30, 35 things. And I'm not lying. I'm, I'm just, I'm confessing my sin. I'm already in pain, man. I, excuse me, excuse me. I get in front of me, you know, and I, I look up at the sign like that. And then I go. And then I look at right and I go, really? Really? You're going to do that? Oh, by the way, I'm a preacher. Jesus, Jesus loves you. Jesus, Jesus loves you. But I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble, right? Oh God, oh God, God help me. Is that getting out of control, Pastor? I'm gonna close with the dynamics of love. Phew. Love covers a multiple of sin. It does, this means that we don't condone sin and we don't cover it up. It just means that love doesn't exploit and expose problems people have. Because people got problems. What, what brings people into your churches is when the families, the married couples especially, got their act together somewhat and there's love in their heart and they feel that. They can feel that dynamic. The only hope they have is if they feel that love when they come in so when they sit down, they let the guard down where God can speak to them, touch them. If they don't feel that, if you're in conflict all the time and there's always a spirit of conflict in your life and your marriage and you're always upset with each other and you're always radiating this, this atom, they feel that too and they just sit there with the walls up. Force fields are up. They don't, nothing, nothing's going to happen because they're wounded and they're hurt and, they, and they, they don't understand that, but they can sense that hostility. So love, the dynamic of love is it breaks that down. 
doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're learning to love. And the other thing I want to end with tonight is about grieving God's spirit. Because, you know, the Bible says don't blaspheme, don't quench, or don't grieve God's spirit. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, is grieved over broken relationships. Listen to these words, Ephesians 4. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You see, the context of that grieving God's spirit is in relationships. It's all in relationships. So you might not smoke or cuss or fornicate, but if you come in here with a rotten, bad attitude and, 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 and uh, you know, upset and all these things, you're not, you don't, you're, not, you know, you're not thinking about this, then you're grieving God's, God's spirit's grief because, you see, he understands he can't bring those people that are wounded in and set them down because you haven't learned to love yet. You're, 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 you're having problems in relationships. It's broken relationships that grieve God's spirit. Well, I don't drink anymore. I don't cuss anymore. That's great. Praise the Lord. But the disposition of your spirit bothers God too. You can sit there and be a turnip or a, you know, a sourpuss. And God, you know, God says that grieves him. It grieves God's Holy Ghost. And so you need to learn relationships tonight. Break, breaking relationships grieves God. Heads about eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around.